Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast, a special edition episode. We're covering what should be the final portion of the Ultra OCR Man commentary from Special Forces Soldier to Record-Setting Professional Obstacle Course Racer, and I am joined once again by the man, Bobby Ross. Bobby, welcome back. Hey, man. Welcome to my podcast, the <laughs> Strength and Speed Podcast, with my special guest, Evan Preparis, talking about the last, the last session on his book. Yeah. Ultra OCR man from Special Forces Soldier to Record Setting Professional Obstacle Course Racer. Thanks for joining me, Evan. No problem. <laughs> Bobby's also been putting out some uh, some content. You just put out a YouTube video about Mortal Kombat. Uh, by this point, it'll probably be a couple of weeks ago. But the uh, yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff. You're combining all, all the stuff I love. It's like nerdy pop culture, video games, action movies, and uh, sharing some of your thoughts as a filmmaker. So it's it's awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, the plan for that is at least one video a week from now on, because uh, otherwise I'm, I'm planning on doing a lot of traveling coming up and I've got to have some passive income. So if any of you want to, you should go check me out. You can find me on YouTube uh, and please sub- subscribe to me because until I get 100 subscribers, I can't tell you where to go. Uh, so go and subscribe to me so that I can get money from you somehow. Yeah. Ads, those go. ads. Yeah. <laughs> I need to figure out a way to get you to give me money. <laughs> Yeah, the video is awesome though. It's it's super good. I really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to see what else you you produce. And uh, you even sprinkled a little bit of OCR references in there, so, which is always cool. So yeah, go check it out. I think by the time this comes out, I may have uh, two short films up there. Uh, we'll see. Oh wow! Learned a fun fact today. It's not really actually. It's not fun. But so the last time, <laughs> so the last. <laughs> You'll see why in a minute, right? So the last time we recorded, I was in a hotel room, right? And we had video, and it was super nice. I found out today that hotel burned to the ground last week. So I missed no that. No way! Holy yeah. shit, what? Yeah, I missed that event by a couple of days. So uh, glad I got out of Texas. But yeah, I, I was watching video. I was watching video of it burn. You know, the, the video is a couple of days old at this point. But I was watching video of it burn uh, a couple hours ago, and like... Right along the the path that I went running in and out of the hotel from for uh, my morning runs. So, yeah. I think it's probably impossible to feel any worse for Texas right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been quite a week. It's been quite a week. It was that, and then the, uh, you know, we're kind of on the tail end of the Ninja Warrior. Uh, I just announced about my American appearance on American Ninja Warrior, or appearance to go compete, rather. I haven't gone yet, but. Do you know if you'll appear or not? Uh, based on whether or not you go compete? No, you, you don't. Uh, I mean, I you, I think you'll kind of get a feel once you're there. You know, based either based off one how well you do, and two, you know, they ask for more interviews and more information and stuff like that. Is my understanding. So we'll see. Uh, honestly, I'm just excited to go play on the course. To be honest with you. So, and again, if if you need if you need another plug, um, Bobby's the one who made my submission video. So. Um, <laughs> You know, people are like, you got picked on the first try? It's like, Bobby Ross, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like you should, uh, you know, start charging a pretty penny for submission videos. So, Well, I mean, the, the reason why yours was so good was because I literally shot video of you for 18 hours a day, like, for <laughs> over a week. Like, if it wasn't, like, spectacular, then I don't deserve to be doing this for a living anyway. So. It better get you in. Yeah. All right. So let's let's jump back into the book, um, which is going to tie into some of the Ninja Warrior stuff in a second. Because so um, we 
we're starting off on chapter 12. Chapter 12 is about toughest mutter. So while I'm doing this ultra OCR grand slam, the self-created thing, you know, CBS announces kind of like as I'm announcing my plans, like, all right, we're going to start televising toughest mutters. And then I go and do the first one. I do well, top 10. And then they want to interview me for the other one. So now I have this like stupid self-created plan on the table that essentially, you know, I don't say no one cares about, but like I'm the only one who like really cares about it. And then there's like this great opportunity to appear on TV for CBS, you know, and it's like, well, which one do you do? Or do you try to do both? And um, if you know my personality, I like I'm all in all the time. Right. So I was like, well, I'm going to do both and I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what this chapter is about. It's kind of balancing, you know, doing all the 24 hour races I can in a year. And then on top of that, just throwing in more eight hour races into the mix. So, right. This actually makes me think about um, how are you more motivated, Evan? So uh, I hear people say two different, completely opposite things about goals. One is that if you want to be more likely to do it, then you tell as many people as possible. But the other is not to tell anyone because that like uh, activates that portion of your brain that says you've already done something. Which which are you? Mm, interesting. I would say I'm the per- type of person who. Once it gets within a year, then I start telling people. So if it's, you know, I have plans for several years out that I typically keep to myself because a lot of times they sound a little crazy because I haven't done the intermediary steps to get to that that final step, right? So like I knew I wanted to go into special forces when I was still in college, but I didn't tell people that because like I hadn't even become an officer yet. I hadn't graduated ranger school yet. I hadn't even been on a deployment yet, you know? So it's like, well, you know, maybe you keep that information to yourself, but kind of always know it's there. And then as you, you know, when you graduate ranger school, graduate, uh, go on your successful first deployment, and then, then you can start telling people. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's, there's, that's always interesting to me, psychologically. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, I mean, the observer effect, the peer pressure, right? Like the appearance of like looking like a hypocrite. I mean, it, it, it it's a weighs heavily. I was uh, actually doing some research about the army's combatives program, right? Uh, they teach you how to fight, especially in combat situations. And the founder of the program, you know, one of his sayings was, he's like, you know, in certain situations, the fear of, of public humiliation is worse than death. Right. And they, they like, they right. leverage that in the army because people don't want to look weak in front of their unit or don't want to be, uh, you know, observed as weak or not, you know, willing to push themselves. Um, so, Right. I see that for sure. Yeah. So yeah, the CBS announced going to start televising the ultra OCR. And, you know, I still think this is a huge, or was a huge moment in ultra sports, right? Like what other ultra sports are on mainstream television? You know, there were, there wasn't a sports channel, right? It was CBS, main CBS, right? There's the only one I can think of is Ironman. I can't think of another ultra sport that actually gets TV coverage. Obviously, it's not live because you can't do ultra coverage live because it would be incredibly boring, right? So I mean, boring. It'd be so <laughs> terrible. So I was actually surprised they decided to film the eight-hour overnight. I was like, That's, that doesn't seem like it's going to go well, but they did a pretty good job. I kept it interesting. I definitely know that the guys who were paid to do that were really not excited about doing it because that, that is tough, and that sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's I a night... Find and shoot people? It's a nightmare, too, because, right, I mean... It's not like a race where you're like, oh, well, I'll just go to the front of the race and we'll follow the lead crowd. Like, you're trying to find people 
while there's all other people on the course, right? So like, you know, the, yes. the, the person in second, there might be 50 people between the person in first and second, you know? So like, it's not intuitive. Um, How do you know who's important and who you don't care about until you creep up on them and say, hey, do I care about you? Exactly. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> exactly. So uncomfortable. On the last couple of filmings, they started giving us like colored, you know, uh, chem light stuff like like essentially like a light up bracelet that we wore on our bib so they could kind of see you from a little ways off oh that's smart yeah but the problem is you know there's no rule saying that other people can't do that so some people you know as part of their normal their normal getup have lights on them so it it could be confusing (laughs) i guess in case you like pass out that might be smart like so people can find you if they're like hey you know like if your pit crew realizes you haven't checked in in a while maybe they can go look for you and if you have like like a glow stick on you might be easier to find you yeah, so that's part of the safety. You know, there's oh, you're supposed to have a, essentially like a tail light, um, you know, so like a blinking light on your on your backside, oh. and then you're supposed to have a headlamp up on front, right? So you since you have dual lighting there, but you know, some people some people take the flashing light and replace it with a glow stick. Some people, you know, again, glow bracelets. Sometimes have multiple flashing lights, right? Like there's the point is just to have a light there. So if you fall down face down into the mud and are essentially blacked out, like there's still light shining up from your uh, lifeless body. <laughs> I got dark. Yeah. <laughs> a TV opportunity is huge, right? Especially in obstacle course racing. But I still had my own goals, so I I tried to do both, and which is not unlike what's going on right now, right? Like I have Ninja Warrior in a couple of weeks, and I have a in, in my mind I have I still have a lot of obstacle specific work to do for that. But at the same time, I announced my Ultra OCR Mill twenty one thousand feet. Uh, charity event you know a month ago so that's already on the table so i'm doing both my training schedule is kind of a little bit ridiculous but luckily it it backs off after about another week because i go into taper mode and then uh, i basically focus on ninja warrior after that ocr meal sounds like the worst thing you have ever come up with oh good that's good i never <laughs> i start losing um i think we were talking about this last time like i start losing perception of like what sounds hard anymore so sometimes I'm like, eh, maybe this is too easy. And then other times, like, you'll hear more about this if you want to go back and listen to the Obstacle Running Adventures podcast. But I start, you know, you start digging into the medical research on what happens to your body at altitude. And it's some pretty scary stuff. You're like, hmm, maybe this is not a good idea, you know. And the owner of, like, the, the maker of the hypoxic generator was like, uh, we recommend you do not do this. And I was like, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> I was like, Thanks. So it sounds like the ultimate in it just, just misery, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like you have the ability to kind of like change pace or like slow down or speed up or talk to people and, you know, kind of get your mind off of something like OCR America, but for something like OCR meal like this, like you can't even like, can you even speak with that on like audibly perceptibly? Yeah, you can speak. It's not going to be very clear. And, um, and that's kind of one of the reasons I only, I've only doing six hours just cause like, eating becomes a, a pain in the butt, right? Because I either got to drink through a straw or I got to, like, take mm. the mask off. So, got it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah that's an aside, but, yeah, that's that sounds horrible. Yeah, go go back and listen to uh, Obstacle Running Adventures coverage of the event, and uh, we'll probably do a post-race coverage of it on uh, Strength and Speed, too. So, we'll get some more details out to you. And then, of course, uh, Bobby Ross, I believe, is going to film some some good content for that, so... Yeah, I'll give that. you guys a little sneak peek. That'll probably be out by the time you listen to this. Yeah. So go back and watch. Yeah, so Toughest Mudder. Super cool. Cool to appear on TV. 
again, I think if you lined me up in high school and said one of you was going to be on TV for being an athlete, I would have been like, well, again, definitely not me, you know? <laughs> so that was pretty wild. And you know, in the book, I have a picture of my daughter kind of pointing at the TV because you can see me on TV. What was funny is my, my daughter has seen, you know, she's seen Amy Padgett on TV, Brenna Calvert multiple times and Michelle Warnke, right? Like, I was like, at some point, she'll realize that seeing your friends, your your dad and his friends on TV is not normal, right? Because <laughs> she thinks that's normal right now. That's just like, oh, that's just what happens, right? But um, yeah, because one of my friends like, well, when you told your kids, were they so excited? And my, I was like, yeah, my daughter was like, cool, Dada. That sounds fun. You know, like, not a big deal. Because she's seen, she's seen other, we've met other people that have been on the show, you know, so... Yeah, whatever. Call me when you do something important, Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something significant. Tough as Mudder was good, and I, you know, I, I poured my heart out trying to do really well at those races, and uh, you know, sometimes it goes well, sometimes not so much. But absolutely, actually, at this point, I'm feeling dead air. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't really know what to say to that. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, anything else on this chapter? Otherwise, I'm gonna keep on cruising. Dude, like, I mean, this one is just, uh, I, you talking about with Ryan, uh, I, I lost his last name, Ryan Atkins. I, yeah. I was thinking Atkinson. Like, like, it's really funny how you talk about people saying your name and like uh, recognizing you as you pass them, as you go by. And the fact that everybody said his name, but you were fired up by that. Do you think that there is a part of you that said, hey, the closer I am to, to this athlete, the closer I am to victory? Like, like what was going through your mind as people were saying his name and yet you were still fired up by that? Yeah, you know, so he was a lap ahead of me. So, but we were running at the same pace for a little bit. Um, I was just happy oh, yeah. to, to know that sometimes, you know, you, you look at the performance of someone, of two athletes over a certain distance and it's like, wow, they were just light years ahead of me. And then, you know, so you, you, you imagine them moving at this ridiculous speed, but it was cool to be actually, to run with him for a little and like not be into a like deep into my lactic threshold, you know, like I still felt like I was running aerobically. Yeah. He was just moving really, very efficiently, you know, and not wasting time in the pit and, uh, you know, not wasting time at obstacles and just kind of, just kind of flowing. It was cool. And it was kind of fun to run with him for a little bit. And like I said, hearing everyone else kind of call his name and be motivated to have him pass by was, you know, it's a nice touch. Is there anything to, uh, to learn, to distill about the fact that you were running at the same pace basically is like the best in the world yeah i mean the the big difference is why well, like that was only a, a portion of my race versus he was probably running at that pace the whole race right right but yeah i think it, it showed me a little bit like you know maybe i mean again ryan seems like inhuman sometimes like you look at some of the stuff he did and you're like geez i mean it's just it seems like operating on a completely different planet um it just kind of showed that you know Again, it's kind of about consistency and putting out well, – one, his training volumes are insane, which is the reason he can sustain paces like that for uh, very, very long periods of time. So, you know, he's, he's worked himself up to that point. This uh, is, like, important in pretty much – no matter what it is that you're doing in life, I've learned this recently, it's, it's really not about being able to, like, surmount – like these insane goals, like, right. Like uh, I, I think about this when it comes to video, it's not about the fact that you can stay up for three days straight on an edit, which does happen every once in a while, but it's more about the fact that the people who are doing the stuff that you want to do already 
are the sorts of people who have been plugging away at it in the dark of really at a really consistent pace for years. Absolutely. So, so true. Yeah. Like, so like if, if you want to be good at anything, whether it's like video or OCR, any sort of athletic pursuit, or just like you just want to make money in the world in general, like look for the people who have found a way to, to sustain a healthy pace at something day in and day out, who don't take days off. And those are the sorts of people who you need to, you need to like distill the essences of a successful life from or a successful habits from, I think. Yeah, 100% agree. And I, you can see it even in the OCR industry. Like there are athletes who when I came in were, you know, crushing it, you know, and then fast forward a year or two and they're gone. And then there's other athletes that arose like a year or two after I did and they do great for a couple of years and then they're gone, right? Like they're, they're seizing on success and they're, they're doing well for a little while and then, you know, whatever, they're losing interest or whatever reason they decide to leave the sport. But there are other people who have been there, you know, as long as I have and longer, right? I mean, especially on the female side of our, of the Conquer the Gauntlet team, a lot of those girls have been crushing races since, you know, 2015 and sometimes earlier. Yeah. And this is also important for me to, yeah, this and it's in, in the last chapter, I talk about, and so throughout the book, I talk about some of the other athletes in the sport because I, I definitely didn't want to make it seem like I am the only person in the sport per se, you know, like I remember reading a review of ultra marathon man, Dean Carnazes' book. And people were like, just ripping him apart. Like, you're not even the best ultra runner, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, well, he never said he was the best ultra runner, right? Like just telling his story. So I, you know, a part of me, I wanted to be like, well, I want to, I, I definitely want to shout, give, essentially give shout outs or, you know, recognition to the, there's a ton of other great people in the sport and a ton of other great stories. You know, we'll talk about this in the last chapter, but like, I, I'm hoping, you know, like my book is the first of other athletes sharing their stories and writing uh, books about their personal journey and uh, the sport of obstacle course racing. Cause for me personally, that's what pulled me into the ultra running world, right? Like yeah. I read ultra marathon, man, I read born to run. And then I read, you know, Scott Urich's book and uh, Marshall Ulrich and Pam Reed, you know, you basically name the ultra runner that has a, a book. And I just, I, I just started churning through those and that's kind of how I got pulled further into the sport. So I think yeah. obstacle course racing needs that. I think we need media that sticks around longer than, podcasts and uh, online articles. And I think books and movies are the ways that, uh, that that kind of has that staying power. Yeah. I mean, like, how elitist is it to say that only the very best in any sport at any given time are allowed to tell their stories about the sport? That's That's dumb. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That imposter syndrome that people feel where they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not good enough or like, I'm not the best or like, I'm not even like, top five or top 10 or whatever, I shouldn't be able to talk about it. No, like, I mean, like part of what makes you memorable or part of what makes a sport powerful is not even necessarily the fact that people who are at the top of it also have the ability to write a good book or to give a good interview. No, like, I mean, like most of the time they spend too much time training to even do that. The fact that like people at just like the top, like 20% or so, some of those people are able to, to give something. Heck, the 50%, the top 50%. I'd be interested in seeing that. Or, you know, like, I don't know, like that. I, I really dislike that elitism. Yeah. You can say something valuable even if you didn't beat Ryan Atkins. Even if you got, <laughs> even if you got seventh overall that year, you didn't even, you didn't even top five. No, not a toughest mutter. No. Uh, not in this book, but I wouldn't get onto the podium until 2019. 
for Toughest Mudder. That's right. right. How old were you in 2019? <sighs> Hold on now, 38, 37, 36, something like that. Yeah, not 26, right? No. Yeah. You can do cool stuff after you graduate college. You can. <laughs> all of, actually, all of my cool stuff is after college. Right. I didn't do anything cool in my 20s. Let's be real here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's... Let's jump into the next chapter. Um, so the next chapter was actually a chapter I added after, you know, my, my initial plan was just to do like one chapter per like big charity event I did. And then as I was, as I'm writing the book, right? So I started the book midway through the Ultra OCR Grand Slam. I actually started tweaking and adjusting things. And this was one of the chapters that I added. You know, I added the Toughest Mudder chapter as an addition. The Endure the Gauntlet lead up was an addition because, you know, as I'm getting ready for this 48 hour ultra OCR, you know, things just, it was like, it was just such a good year. Like things just keep kept going well. And I kept winning or placing at races that I did not think I was, I was expecting to do well at, you know, I added that in there. And I also wanted to show that, you know, I've got these big challenges going on every year, but there's, you know, I'm still racing, you know, every, like every other weekend, right. It's not just like, all right, here's my one big challenge and I'm not doing anything. I'm preparing just for this. It's, I'm, I'm doing other races and then this big challenge is kind of like a, a highlight of the year. You said one of my favorite things. We talk about this all the time when we're just like, just like kind of like, like sitting around and goofing off. But uh, like in the very first page, you say like, I find periods of suffering and challenges is what makes the relaxing moments that much better. Like you, you talk about the fact that like, if you just like kind of allow yourself to shrink into a place of comfort, then not only will you not do cool stuff, but you can't even like appreciate the comforts and like the good things in life. Absolutely. You know, it's like if you fly first class all the time, then it becomes like if you become numb to that feeling. Then when you go to like economy, you're like, what? They got me sitting in the economy, right? Like pe- people, people who always sit in economy and get upgraded to first class appreciate it versus the person who always flies first class does not appreciate that they're in first class. So I fly economy, just so you know. I do too, but I hate it. God, I hate flying so well, you're much. T- because- you're, t- you're tall too. I'm 5'6". I'm it's not... I usually have plenty of leg room. Oh yeah, like like my knees always are pressed against the seat in front of me. So if I move it, whoever's in front, like if I move it all, whoever's in front of me always like turns around and gives me like a stink eye. <laughs> like I can't move, I can't speak, I can't say anything. Like I can see over their seat. It's it's horrendous. And also, the window seat. I will do anything to get out of the window seat because it it, it feels like I, I'm in a suitcase the whole time. Uh, this is neither oh, here yeah, nor there, but it's curved. I got you. Yeah, I, I love the window seat because you lean in, into it and fall asleep. Not a problem. Hate it. Hate it. I want to be on the aisle. It makes my posture better. <laughs> I'll get up if you have to go to the bathroom. The problem is that you know flying sucks. That's all. But there's nothing to that. <laughs> you talk about never agains too. You did yet another never again uh, when it came to the dreadmill 48 hour challenge. That sucked. Yeah, so I, I wanted to get ready for Endure the Gauntlet 48 hours, and um, so I, I saw this thing online, and they, they were like, all right, you do 100 miles on a treadmill over 48 hours? So I was like, oh, that seems like a good training prep for uh, Endure the Gauntlet. So that's what I used it for. So I didn't, I didn't officially compete on the weekend of the event. I just kind of logged it on my own and uh, emailed the race director, and she sent me the buckle and stuff like that. But yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, just mind numbing. I mean, it was just so painfully boring. And again, it, it reminded me what makes OCR America so hard, right? Like the first day wasn't too bad. I think I logged 40 miles and then you, you go to bed and you wake up the next day and it's just like, 
oh good i get to run on the treadmill all day again because i was breaking it up i I tried to break it up so like my body could recover a little bit in between so i could uh, get back to normal training that week but it was it was mentally it was rough that was a rough one i love how you wrote a memoir and pretty much every single event in it starts off with the sentence yeah it was pretty bad (laughs) <laughs> like usually when people write a memoir it's like about all the stuff that was pretty good yeah it's the opposite this is the anti-memoir yeah it was i yeah i make a lot of uh poor physical decisions and then ride <laughs> ride them into the ground so <laughs> dude endure the gauntlet was insane that was when i that was actually the first time that i actually saw you i didn't like meet you but you ran by me because that year was my very first ocr race like that race was my first one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was 2018 that, that was the big goal for the year. So getting ready for that. And, uh, you know, right before that, like literally right before that, I were talking like two weeks before that we, uh, raced North American OCR championships and we came in second in the pro co-ed, which again, short course is not my specialty, but it was rainy that day and people were just falling off obstacles left and right. And, you know, the, the Conquer the Gauntlet team is not known for failing a lot of obstacles. So we, uh, <laughs> we, pulled out, we pulled out second and beating names that, you know, are, are way faster than us, right? So Yeah. Um, that, that was really cool. And I, I didn't include the picture in the book, uh, but it's, it's on Facebook. I, I, I usually share it every year. It's like while I'm on the podium, I, I have this picture of, like, me reaching over and awkwardly touching Ryan Atkins' leg to show <laughs> I'm actually on the podium with him. <laughs> I've got this like ridiculous face on and Amy Padgett is dying in the pictures, like laughing so hard. And Ryan Atkins' dog is who's on the podium instead of Nicole Miracle. Uh, Ryan Atkins' dog is like mean mugging me. Like he's about to bite me because <laughs> I'm touching his owner. <laughs> Such a good picture. It was. It, it, it looks like you're set, you're mouthing daddy in that yeah. photograph. <laughs> so you're like holding on to his pants. Yeah, it's it's hysterical. So the the other funny part is, so the picture that's in the book, you can see like I'm kind of leaning a little bit against him because yeah. I was I, I'm numbing him to the effect of me touching him, right? <laughs> it's very purposeful, right? So I'm leaning into him, so the, there's physical contact, so that way when I touch him, it, he doesn't notice it as much. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Totally worth it. I don't oh, regret man. that at all. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were listening. Uh, jumping, I'm gonna jump backwards in time. Then we'll we'll jump back and get ready in, right into the gauntlet. <laughs> this photo. But I was getting. Uh, I was. I was getting ready for. I'm sorry. When when I flew back from uh, Lebanon for 2015 World's Toughest Mudder, I realized that we skipped over the story. You know, so I, I'm in Lebanon working. So I, my plane ticket is a round trip from Lebanon to the United States to Las Vegas and back to Lebanon. So I fly back to the United States, do World's Toughest Mudder, and then I fly back to Lebanon because that's where I'm working, right? So as I'm flying back, I have essentially what looks like a one-way ticket to Lebanon from the United States. So I got stopped at every checkpoint, and they're like, why are you going to Lebanon? Right? Because like, the war in Syria is raging right across the border. Yeah. So it looks like I'm flying into Lebanon and not coming home and like, you know, probably crossing the border, becoming a foreign fighter. Uh, so I got, I got stopped in the United States. Um, yeah, I showed my military ID card. That was a quick one. And then I got stopped in France too. And they were like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> just kind of a funny story. You're just a hellraiser, man. You're a renegade. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought I was going to join the uh, the Free Syrian Army there. Well, you know, the thing about it is, though, like, if you were to think about anybody who was about to join the Free Syrian Army and you were to, like, you know, pick them out of a yearbook, it, it's the same as a person who would be on a, on a podium or on national TV for being an athlete. I mean, you, you, you kind of don't look the part. Yeah. <laughs> You're very unassuming until yeah. you take your shirt off. That's That's weird. I assume a lot. <laughs> all right Whoa. It's getting real awkward in here all right wanna, like lean against me on a podium a little bit <laughs> all right let, let's jump into endure the gauntlet right so <laughs> moving right along i think i covered it pretty well in depth in the book and i shared most of the stories that i can remember um uh, in so summary it, it was pretty bad it was awful it was so much worse <laughs> than oh it was such a bad idea there are very, I do very, you know, like we were saying, I, I do all these things and they're always, I'm always like, that was, that was a bad idea or that was painful. And there's very few ideas that I've done where like in the middle of it, I'm like, this was, this was a really bad idea. Like I should just, I should give up on endurance sports. I should go find some other hobby. Uh, endure the gauntlet, <laughs> definitely, definitely push that button. You know, I remember being like 18 hours in and being like, geez, what am I doing? Why? So. I think the the most pathetic line in this entire chapter is is when you when you say like uh, every time I grabbed a board or bar, my hand sent signals to my brain that screamed, "You're doing damage. Let go." I continually overrode the signal by squeezing harder and grunting a little. Yeah, that's how I do it. <laughs> that's 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 all you got. Like like all of this like badass special forces training, all of these twenty four hour like insane. What, that's what that's what it's distilled to. I squeezed a little harder and I grunted a little bit, <laughs> and that's just, that's the only difference. That's the difference between you and me right now. Yeah, just leaning into the pain, you know. Um, that's right. Otherwise, that's I what mean, I do when I get out of bed, I grunt a little, <laughs> squeeze a little harder. If I try to get my my shoes off, you know, like after a you know a four mile run, dang dude. We pulled so many ticks off my leg on on like every lap. We were just. Just like ticks, they was just ticks up and down my legs on every lap, which again can't be probably is not good for you. It's not good for you, right? Carrying, <laughs> carrying who knows what in them, but yeah, like How about Jer- some off man, some deet. I don't, yeah, and I think I think I think someone sprayed me with. I usually don't use uh, bug repellent. I think it's a complete. I think it's a complete complete sham. I think the whole industry is a complete <laughs> sham. I'm just gonna be honest with you, right? Like hot take. I, I, I've been at, I, cause I've been camping. Uh, I, I went used to go camping every month as a Boy Scout. I, you know, I spent literally weeks at a time in the woods uh, as in the military. And there was the guys who were like always covered in bug spray. Were like the bugs were always going nuts on them. And you know, like I never wore bug spray, and typically the bugs didn't bother me too much. So I don't wear it because it gives me a terrible rash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, I would. I'm convinced the bug spray industry like spray something like a, a thing, you know, for their their sample for their test. They spray something with their bug spray, and then they have something else that has no bug spray. And as long as there's like one less bug on their bug spray, they're like, it's a win. It works. That's what I imagine. Sometimes the placebo effect is all you need, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in it though. So the placebo effect for bug spray doesn't work on me. How close did you get to uh, to blacking out uh, in a in endure the gauntlet? Pretty. Very close. I mean, I talk about it in the book. You know, when I I came out, of, I was I was overheating so bad. And when I came, I landed in those water obstacles. Like the you know, like the blackness started creeping in, and I was like, "Oh, I'm about to go out. I'm about to go out." And then I like kind of take a couple of deep breaths, 
And then uh, it kind of recedes, and you're like, all right, I'm good for a couple more minutes. And uh, It was hot. So hot. It was hot out there. You know, and I knew at the time, again, the story's in the book, but I knew when I went back out for another lap, you know, at the point in the book that I'm talking about, I knew I can make it through the first half prime because it was like mostly in the shade. But the second half of the course, if you remember, was just like all in the sun. It was like there's yeah, no, no shade. And I don't know what Phil and Steve were doing and Dave were doing that year. But like, I don't know if you remember Crank It Up was so heavy. It was yeah preposterously heavy. It was insane, dude. You know, I remember being fresh and going like, dude, like I mean, like I, I'm a not a little dude, and that was like, that was a, a kind of a shock. Yeah, and then smooth criminals at the top of a hill, right? So like, you don't have a running start really, so you're going from like almost a standstill. There are uh, rocks everywhere too, man. Like uh, I mean, it was not like a, a stable ascent getting yeah. up there either. It was a, it was a poor choice, of course. The I still think that was the hardest conquer the gauntlet course. I've ever done period. Oh, absolutely. It was fantastic. It was for me. That was the best like first race I could have ever done. Like, I mean, I, I crossed the finish line, like, like bloody and like, like, I mean, like, uh, just like I would come with it with a group of Victoria and I, my wife had come with a group of friends and we were the only two who crossed the finish line. And wow. there was just like this feeling of like, Oh, I can't wait to do that again. That felt amazing. Oh, yeah, there's this guy, Evan, from Paris. Apparently, he's been here for, like, an entire day. <laughs> just doing this over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'm not – we won't go into too much detail, like I said, because I think I cover it – I cover it really well in the book because that's kind of like the – it's the big climax of the book there. So if you want all the juicy details, you have to, you have to pick up a copy. But, oh, man. You won't regret it. Some of the, the pictures, the people you have touched on the podium – <laughs> uh, it's just that's it's phenomenal that's what you do it for all the touches that's, that's why you buy it yeah looks like david's touching you more in this chapter though he is he is he's touchy he's yeah a touchy guy the future man there are no victims there are only volunteers oh yeah with endure the gauntlet kind of wrapped up yeah i'm still racing at this point so i'm still doing other stuff and uh there's still like ideas that i want to include in the book and uh, well, I'm trying to get it published at the time. So, you know, I kept going back and tweaking this last chapter. You know, at one point it ended right at Endure the Gauntlet. And then it was like, well, you know, my team just won World's Toughest Mudder in the two-man team category, right? So, like, that's pretty important, right? Like, it's going to be the biggest win ever. So I should probably put yeah. that in the book. And then, you know, it was, you know, then, like, my next charity event was actually in the winter uh, for the first time instead of the summer. So I was like, well, I'll just kind of slide that into the book, too. And uh, so OCR Mill, again, is briefly talked about in the book. You know, I thought going through like another in-depth experience of like what I went through for another charity event was just kind of overwhelming at that point. You know, and it'd be like, you know, the reader would be like, got it. This guy does stupid things. He suffers a lot. <laughs> he generally <laughs> makes it pretty far and, you know, finishes in some respect uh, what he set out to do and has been raising money. So felt like I was kind of retelling the same story at that point with doing the, the 48-hour treadmill challenge, the uh, 100 miles on a treadmill, and then uh, doing OCR mill. It seemed, seemed pretty similar, so I feel like it wasn't a whole lot of reason to like retell uh, that in depth. But it was that was painful, too. It's just the, again, the monotony, and then when every foot strike is exactly the same, right? Like it's 
hurting your muscles in the exact same way. So you don't get any natural variation you would like on normal terrain. And I grossly overestimate, underestimated how badly that was going to tear me up. And I was, oh, I was hurting so bad towards the end. I know we've talked about this, but I cannot imagine, like running on a treadmill is to me like the, the worst thing. Like I, I'd kind of rather just like do that David Blaine thing, you know, where he like takes a, he takes a, a giant needle and like puts it all the way through his arm. So <laughs> I would rather do that than a hundred miles on a treadmill. Yeah. Not pleasant. Not, not pleasant mm-hmm. at all. And yet you keep doing it. Yeah. I wouldn't say I keep doing it. <laughs> You're about to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going 100 miles. It's only six hours. That's like nothing. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Watch on. Watch on social media. Keep an eye on uh, on Evan's social and on his YouTube. And yeah. This. Well, you have to go back in time because this is coming out after. That's right. Go back That's and right. watch. Go back and look at that. Look yeah. at a couple of posts back. The one of the kind of the craziest experiences of, of this whole OCR journey has been the you know meeting Amin Dib from Hannibal Race and going to Lebanon and Kuwait. Uh, for those two races, it was just completely insane, but it didn't it didn't fit well in like the storyline of the book. So again, it's something that had happened actually in the previous chapters, but I just kind of threw it at, here at the end uh, just to share some more of that like personal experience and some of the other things that were going on in the background that didn't didn't necessarily fit in with the storyline per se. Yeah, there's so much, man. Yes, you've done a lot so of much. suffering. Yeah, so much suffering. <laughs> Hellish, even. What a hellish book. <laughs> what an unpleasant life you've lived. And that, that was one of the things, like, you know, when I started, re- I, like I said, I've read a lot of other people's books and ultra runners books and athletes books. And, you know, at some point you start reading books or you start reading military memoirs and you, you're reading someone else's book. and You're like, I've done more than this guy. Like, I should write a book. <laughs> right. Like, that's what happened. Like, I kept reading books and I was like, what? Like, I've done like. I've done much more harder things. I've done more interesting things. You know, like I've been on more deployments. I've been, you know, in, in more uh, ridiculous situations uh, overseas in combat and stuff like that. And I was like, why don't I just start sharing some of that stuff? So, yeah. Um, you know, you, you always hear about like the World War II veteran, uh, your uncles or whatever. And, you know, they get later in life and they start passing or they start passing in or they their mind starts going. And there's no account of like anything they've done. Right. Because they never took the time to write it down. You know, because by the time you're, you know, yeah. later in age, whether you, you may not have the mental faculties to actually record it down. So I was like, well, I'm going to write this down. And honestly, if the only person who reads it is uh, my family and my kids, I'm okay with that. Right. Like that's, that's not going to bother me. So Dude, that's something that's amazing. I think about where we are uh, with the internet and with social media is that like, there are lots of there are lots more ways for you to be able to tell your story. And, and it's important that we're able to tell our stories, but not just tell them, but like, remember them. Yeah. Like if, if you just have like letters that you sent to your sweetheart, like they did back in world war two, then as if that shoebox gets burnt up, then they're over, then they're done. You know, that's it. But you don't just have a book, you know, like, I mean, like you've got like a, a great chronicle of all this stuff and the story is still being written too. That's the coolest thing about it. Yeah. I'd say we almost have the opposite problem now where because of the internet, everything gets recorded, right? So, like, how do you sift through stuff that's relevant, right? For to Like, who has the time to sift through all this information to find, you know, the, the important story that, that you actually want remembered? Um, you know, I think in, in the military we have the same problem, right? Like, when we're collecting intelligence, right? Like, 
we've gotten to the point where we have so many sensors, so much data that it almost becomes overwhelming. And it's like, well, what do I, what do I pay attention to? What do I ignore? And what do I actually use to make a decision? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like the great thing about it is since it is there, it's, it's going to matter. And it's important. Like, like we said, like we talked about earlier, like whether you got the podium or not, uh, like these sorts of stories, like will help somebody somewhere, will inspire someone uh, and have already and taking the time and care. It may seem narcissistic in the moment to write a book about yourself, but like this sort of stuff has like inspired me over and over again, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's but, been cool. It, like, you know, seeing you run your first marathon and stuff like that, that's been, it's cool to like be able to like see that like a direct effect versus, um, you know, a lot of the articles I push out online, it's just like, oh, somebody probably enjoyed that article someplace. Uh, but no, they haven't told me about it, so I guess it's happening. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But, and yeah, you said that like that. The, it does feel like, uh, a little narcissistic to write a book about yourself. So part of that was just why, you know, when I printed the hard copies, I was like, all right, well, I'll just donate all the profits to charity, right? So essentially, I don't, I don't make any money off the hard copy sales of the book. Right. So, so buy the book. Buy the book, yeah. I mean, that's like the whole reason we did all of this from the very beginning. If you've been listening along this entire time, listening to us ramble, listening to all of our, our asides, listening to me <laughs> and like randomly interrupt Evan, like probably once every five to six minutes, then the whole reason we're doing all of this is for you to have this experience yourself and buy Ultra OCR Man. It's true. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, you, you mentioned it at the beginning of the chapter, right? Like I, I put a quote at the beginning of each chapter or something that I enjoy and I think kind of sums up uh, the meaning of the chapter. The quote I have at the beginning, this beginning of this one is from a it's military training from a group called SIOC, the tactical group. And, um, you know, their, their, their tagline is there are no victims. There are only volunteers. And it is, uh, it is brutal and it is rough, but the, you know, I've been waiting for someone to read my book and then like call me out for victim shaming. Um, because I, I, I use that quote in the book. You gotta, you gotta look a little bit deeper and kind of think through, uh, their mindset and kind of why they're, they're, they're sharing that, that slogan with you. You know, it's about, it's about taking responsibility for your actions and, you know, regardless of how bad a situation is, you typically always have a little bit of control where you can actually change the outcome, you know, and it is never easy, right? Like never making a change in your life, you know, whether it's uh, some sort of personal relationship or financial or um, whatever it may be, right? Like it's never an easy choice, uh, but there's typically always a way to influence how things are going to turn out, you know, and it's the difference between, you know, letting life control you and, uh, taking control of your life. Yeah. Kind of what, kind and of the kind of person who's going to make, make uh, excuses, then I mean, like all, all you're going to get are negative outcomes. Yeah. A lot of that, you know, I, I think I kind of live a lot of my mindset in my life through that and kind of the military has instilled a lot of that in me. And yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes we make really good choices, sometimes not so much. And, but either way, you know, we made the choice and you got to deal with the outcome. So it's kind of where, where I was driving home the point at the end of the book there. Take control of what you can. Yeah. You only get one chance. You only get one life. Right. Something about mama spaghetti, I think, was probably in there somewhere. <laughs> My sweater. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Well, Evan, I think you got to sign off at this point, unless you got something else to say. Unless you're done talking about yourself, talking about your own life. Talking about myself. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I just kind of wanted to end the book with a you know, note of that. People, people have a choice in their decisions and you can, you know, you can affect where your life's going next and it doesn't have to be, 
you don't have to be planning to run 12, 24, 48 hours. You know, it's just whatever, whatever you want to do. You know, I think the option is always there. And like we've mentioned several times through over this recording, you know, a lot of it's about consistency and persistence. And, uh, you know, the saying that the appearance of success is often those that just didn't give up. So I think that's, uh, I've just seen that so many more times than, than I can, I can possibly count over the last, you know, 20 years of military and, uh, uh, competitive racing. Yeah, absolutely. Take ownership for, for your own life and your own success and your own goals and your own failures. Don't, don't pin it on anyone else and your own failures. Yeah. You got to take it. Learn from them. You got to take it. Yeah, exactly. You got, you got to learn from your failures, right? Like we point blame sometimes in the military, but the idea is that like you point blame so you can figure out how I can avoid doing something similar negative in the future. That's a, that's a good moral, man. Deep warrior deep. philosopher, right? Or something like athlete philosopher. I don't know what you were saying last time. I can't remember, uh, but it was really good. And whatever it was, attribute it to me later on. Got it. We'll do. <laughs> Dude, this has been fun. I've had a, I've had a blast talking with you about this book. Um, I mean, this was a big deal for me. Like, I mean, this has been like a part of my journey, not just as like, an amateur athlete, but also as a, uh, like just as a human being, like from the time that we did OCR America too, and we kind of got to know one another, we'd already known each other a little bit before, but I hadn't got to spend that much time around you. And yeah. just like those, those long hours, just like kind of running and, uh, kind of picking your brain and, and just honestly kind of suffering a little bit and watching you suffer has changed my perception of, of how I want to live my life and allowed me to uh, kind of like be a little bit more bold with taking control of, 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 of my goals. Uh, and thanks dude. No, you're welcome. Well, it's been great. Like I said, having you come along for OCR America too was one of the best ideas I've ever had, right? Like hiring you to come along for the journey, not only helped me, not only helped us raise a lot more money, right? That was our biggest fundraiser we've ever done, but it also, made it easier for me to continue to to do well every day right because you know the cameras there give me that like observer effect peer pressure and then every morning i wake up and you show me this awesome video of what i did the day before and it like it just blunts all the pain right like you know because I, I spend the previous day suffering <laughs> typically a lot and then you show me this like three minute video of, in my, my opinion of like me looking awesome and i'm like yeah, I am awesome. That is a good thing, you know? And I could like, I could watch that video and like, it, it projects like an ideal version of myself back to myself, uh, allowing me to continue to, um, you know, like self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing and allow me to continue to perform. So it was great. And then on top of that, like, it's like, like we've ha talked about over the last couple episodes, you know, me and you just, I just get along with you really well. It was we great. We partied, man. We partied the whole time. We did, yeah. And we got a lot more adventures coming, so continue to follow along. Continue to follow. OCR Bob. America three. We're not doing OCR America twenty two. No, no. <laughs> I've got other ideas. Um, yeah. I'm going to point back to this podcast right now. At this point in time, whenever he, whenever we do OCR America three, we're not doing OCR America. Right. I was right. <laughs> it might look a little bit like OCR America, but it's not. It's not. So it's better. Yeah, I would say better. It's different. We're, we'll be older. We'll be older, <laughs> older and more surly. That's the point. Sur yeah, we'll definitely. It will definitely be a lot grumpier in the videos, <laughs> crotchety even. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks, Bobby, for 
coming along and on this journey and uh, sharing some of your insights. And what do you got coming up? Normal stuff, man. I've got a. I've got this new YouTube channel, which doesn't have a name because uh, you guys haven't subscribed yet. And when you do, you can. I'm <laughs> talking about all the things that I love, mostly uh, filmmaking, animation, and horror movies. Uh, so yes. if you're into the, the creepy side of pop culture and you you uh, enjoy seeing a really eccentric person figure out what's fun and interesting about horror and why it matters and just kind of see what see what we can create that can make the world a better place through the lens of this oft maligned genre you can check me out on youtube and at bobbyross.film where i will be it's cool it's new yes i tried to go to it the other day and it wouldn't let me access it i'm excited to go yeah that's that's actually because it's a it's a placeholder (laughs) at the moment yeah I figured that out. I'm, I'm hoping that all this... <laughs> I've gone to a lot of effort over the past couple of years to get all of my social media stuff to line up at Bobby Ross Film and BobbyRoss.Film, and it's only just now happening. This has been over a year, people. Appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to go check it out once it finally goes live. And we, you'll you know, stick around for Strength and Speed. We're going to bring Bobby back on for a couple other episodes. I got I got some other guests lined up that I want his input on. That I think will be interesting for the kind of. Like, I will judge people with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll judge him hard. <laughs> for the future of kind of where OCR is going, especially on like the media side and some other stuff. So stick around. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as uh, we had fun running our mouths. And uh, we'll catch you guys later. Thanks for coming on my podcast, Evan. You're welcome. Mm-hmm.